I'm your host, Roberto. And I'm Brendan, and together we're ranking the Russian rulers from Rurik to Putin. This week, we're talking about V by Nikolai Gogol and its two subsequent film adaptions. With us today, we have the Attack of the Final Girls host, Teresa and Juliet, as well as Bree from Pontifex. Welcome! Hello! 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 So, thank you guys for coming on to the show today. Uh, I know, essentially, we have made our our guests watch two films of varying degrees of... Uh, how, what's the correct word I'm looking for here? Goodness? Quality. No. Quality. Quality. There we go. <laughs> Tolerability. Length. <laughs> um, yeah, so, and essentially how faithful they are to the novel, to the short story they're based off of as well. So the film has two, essentially, movies. One from the Soviet Union in 1967, and one from the modern-day Russian media from 2014. Which, the, the modern-day one has Charles Dance from Game of Thrones, or, you know, Lord Tywin Lannister, and Jason Fleming of various other films of recognizability. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, and then go, uh, V is just a short story from Taras Bulba or Mirgorod by Nikolai Gogol, who is someone we will be talking about at some point on the Patreon about his whole life and his various um, novellas and plays. And But basically, to keep it short, he is Russia's Edgar Allan Poe, essentially. That's true. So, um, but before we continue on, can you all introduce yourselves, starting with Attack of the Final Girls? Hey, this is Ju- Juliet from Attack of the Final Girls. And this is Teresa from Attack of the Final Girls. Uh, we are a horror movie podcast, and we try to uh, review new old horror movies and kind of explore them from a feminist lens. And I'm Bree from Pontifax, a papal history podcast ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. Thank you guys so much. So... To kind of continue on today, um, I did ask them to watch these two movies, and now we're going to discuss our thoughts. So, in a nutshell, which one do you want to dunk on first? It's 1967 or 2014? Let's go chronological. I agree. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Okay. So, the 1967 film, The V. Alrighty, so let's have the, the horror movie host give their thoughts first <laughs> sure so this is my first watch i've i've never seen any soviet union horror movies especially not some that were based on literature so this was incredibly enlightening to me um i thought it was a lot like a lot of other horror movies that were happening in the 60s so kind of funny kind of irreverent um drawing on some you know actual folk history and uh, things like that. And I actually really enjoyed it. I, I had a great time watching this one. What about you, Juliet? Yeah, likewise. Um, this was a first watch for me, although um, in college I took a course on Eastern European cinema of this era, and I can definitely see uh, some stylistic ties there. Um, I also love that I could see a lot of uh, the roots of horror in German expressionism uh, manifesting in this film, especially in some of the camera work and creature designs. Um, and it was just a really fun period piece, especially uh, the very, very end, <laughs> those creatures were absolutely fabulous like there are certain moments where it took me back to like uh sort of the dawn of cinema you know the Melies, uh cabinet of dr caligari just in how imaginative the imagery was so this was uh, a really fun watch for me um i actually watched the uh remastered print of it too uh which came out on dvd in 2019 and it is a beautiful print by the way Ooh, so so you saw it twice then essentially well, I watched um, the version you sent. Um, I have on the remastered DVD. <laughs> yeah, it's just a cleaned up version of the film that was re-released by a company called Severin. I'll have to get that from you then. Just to kind of check it out and see it myself because I really did enjoy this film. And Bree, how about you? Well, this was definitely a first watch for me too. And I watched it from a perspective of not looking so much at, at film analysis, but just sort of the overall experience of the film. And it was... 
it was really interesting to see how Soviet films were being made at that time. There was a lot of reliance on interesting set pieces, but they didn't shy away from really practical effects. Everything that was being done was was really like just it was actual people doing actual props and and actual costuming which I really appreciated because I think we've lost some of that in in film today and I, I just loved how wild it was especially those last 10 minutes that was everything in this movie and I loved that yeah I gotta co-sign everything said here I think def- by far my favorite part of the movie was the creature designs and the practical mm-hmm. effects um the puppets the makeup everything even i i like one part of movies i tend to enjoy is the technical aspects a lot so i think there was one point where um there was a bit of a fake out where coma brutus or not brutus um i'm just gonna call him philosoph he like saw the um the corpse of the witch cry a little bit of blood and then they did that super old school technique where they like stop the camera, make sure everyone stays as still as possible, change something about the scene, and then cameras run again and everything disappears. And seeing that done, um, that very old technique was just like really charming to me. Yeah, it definitely had a lot of classic um, film techniques in it in that way which I really appreciated and some of those practical effects were extremely intense too like specifically the second night where she's in the coffin and it's slamming against the protection circle that Holma's in (laughs) I thought that was amazing um yeah I just have to underscore too the effects like they're practical sure they're happening in the 60s we probably have better methods whatever to do today but there's some sort of like heart and passion in having those and you could tell that these were probably pretty hard to pull off uh another one would be her in the coffin kind of zooming around in circles surfing that was great (laughs) yeah (laughs) that was great um so yeah i have to underscore that love the effects i thought that they were so charming and her crawling up the walls as well. Like, they, they clearly have... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and all the oh, yeah. demons crawling down the walls and then coming out of the walls. It was just fabulously done for the time period. There's one other specific effect I want to point out. There's a scene where, like, on the third night, all of these, like, bluish-gray painted arms are coming out of the mm. walls. And they're just sticking they're just sticking out of holes, which I thought was hilarious. It's probably not the effect they were going for, um, but it was like sort of like a primitive thing of like the effect I think in one of the um, Evil Dead movies where like arms are coming out of walls as well. Day of the Dead as well. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and to me, that was the that was the moment where like I was like really a fan. I really became a fan of this movie. I also think there's something to be said for the the way that it represented small village life and how everyone had this very, like the attitudes toward Koma coming in and having to pray for this woman who's died that he's beaten to death, but just the way that, that he was received in the village and how no one else seemed particularly perturbed by what he was experiencing. Yeah, and I kind of thought from that whole experience that... I, for me, it seemed that they kind of knew that she was a witch. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, he's dealing with this. She, she's a witch. and But, you know, she asked for him to kind of come in and just kind of pray for her soul. So I guess he's the one who has to suffer for it. And even if they didn't know um, that, yeah. that she was a witch initially, when he starts trying to express what he's going through and his hair turns gray and he starts to act a little manic, they're just like, oh, yeah, that's 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 what happens. Just get back in there, slugger. Give it, <laughs> give it your best. You got one more day. You'll be fine. Just drink a lot. Yeah, and her father, the colonel, um, Homa at one point just says, she's in league with evil spirits and not doing this anymore. And her father just says, well, she's my daughter, and I'll give you a thousand dukes. <laughs> yeah. Just deal with it for a while. It's fine. Yeah. You're getting paid. I mean, his reasoning it is, is like, well, all the more reason you need to pray for her sinful soul. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I kind of did love the effects of, like, when they first, like, showed 
just kind of bring it back um, to the beginning. I really liked how they showed like the monastery, the, the seminary school life for these. And this is a bunch of like seminarians just kind of being rowdy and crazy. And I'm like, yep, this sounds just about right. And then uh, making fun of like the rector by making him look like a goat <laughs> and all that. So, yeah. so and basically the whole thing the is just, uh, yeah, they're stealing all the time. And, and then, you know, at the beginning when they go to the witch's, you know, house and he stays there, it's like, and she tries to seduce him. He's like, "Oh no, I'm on. I'm fasting right now. I can't do anything like that." <laughs> They're also very like blunt and literal with each other. It's like, "No, I definitely won't have sex with you. You're just old. You're just old." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, it it was basically like college life, except with worse haircuts. Well, I mean, I guess maybe worse haircuts. And woolen robes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the Cossacks had way better haircuts. That, like, half-shaved thing over the side. <laughs> yes. And giant mustaches. <laughs> the, the, the mustaches were amazing. They were. They were. <laughs> I, I always love a good Cossack look. It's For me, that that's, like, top-tier Cossacks are, like, you know, my favorite thing in Russian history, <laughs> yeah. even though they're, like, horrible people, <laughs> usually. Men, why did you stop dressing like this? For for real, um, but it, I, the night the nineteen sixty seven film for me was just like I because because I read the story and it was like almost like word for word super accurate. So mm-hmm. to this is actually to the story. This is a criticism of me because I so I have a rule. I usually watch the movie first before I read um, the thing that it was based on, and I did that in this case. And my one criticism is that it drags yeah. a bit, and I see that part of part of that is because it's trying to follow the story word for word, basically. That's that's very true. This one definitely, and that's why we keep talking about the last ten minutes because that's where all the action is, as you <laughs> would write a novella. But it does make the rest of the movie kind of drag on, and it's all, this movie was very short. It was only just slightly over an hour, hour and a, it's an hour and a half mark, and so there was so much time where nothing was happening because they were really trying to capture the the discussions and the dialogue of the novella. Which for me, honestly, being a fan of like Soviet cinema, because the Soviets do one thing really well and it's when they adapt a book, they do it well. <laughs> so you'll see it a lot in like Soviet, um, like film is just that, oh, look, this is a book adaptation. It's probably going to be extremely faithful to the actual source mm-hmm. material. Compared to like things you see like in you know Western cinema, and with that, one of my favorite things about this was the fact that it did feel like it was coming straight out of the pages of a novel, and that it was that slow burn because you know everything happens on the third night, as you mentioned, in the last ten minutes where all the demons and everything come up. But this is for me just kind of like this whole like oh he's dealing with like this descent into madness yeah. basically in dealing with. And like, oh yeah, and then, oh no, we're going to slowly like make him go crazy, make him make his hair gray, and then everything happens all at once. And you're like, what? <laughs> what did this happen? And to your point too, those breaks that kind of slow down the movie are like Homa slamming back into reality where he, you know, he's just had this night filled with fantasy and, and demons and the devil and warring with his religion and his faith. And then he has to go to breakfast with all these Cossacks <laughs> and he just has to slam right back into reality. I can yeah. imagine that would be kind of disorienting and, and kind of slow it down. So, Yeah, there's definitely a purpose for it. And it definitely follows that novella style, which makes a lot of sense when you're looking at being faithful to the subject material. And and I think it actually gives more cadence to the story, because if you were just like horror all the time, you're like, okay, you know, we're getting too much all at once. But it kind of gives it the whole like, this is happening at night when he's supposed to be praying for her soul, keeping vigil over her. And then it's just like out of nowhere, it's like horrible thing happens. Back into reality, where like no one really believes him, or they just kind of laugh it off, or and he's just like, I need to keep drinking because this is I'm going crazy because of all of this stuff. And I like that that provides a counterpoint because he's drinking so much that you're kind of like, is this actually happening, or is he descending into alcoholism? You know, and can we trust mm-hmm. him as a narrator? 
sort of related like the the absolute mundaneness of everyday life outside of um these like horrible nights really sort of I don't, I don't know i like the effect of it because a lot of horror movies have a tendency to elevate the entire story into this realm of fan- fantasy or being fantastic the fir- like the first thing that comes to mind would be a sci-fi horror like alien where it's not really like a super familiar world or that's not, not something that seems plausible and that the effect is different the, ho- the effect of the horror is different when it's very clear that um not only that homa is like all alone in this he's getting absolutely no help but also that the world he lives in is not really enchanted well that's an interesting consideration too because it's it's the question about how in the time that this novella was written and in the village culture or or the folk culture how much this was not seen as being supernatural or not being seen as magic but just sort of what happens it was just generally accepted as not not any different than the mundane and i think that they put mm-hmm. a lot of pressure on homa in that way where they're like well you came from the seminary you're a learned godly man why are you not able to deal with this yeah with a caveat like the the world of that these villagers were living in is kind of enchanted because like Bree said, um, the supernatural is just a part of everyday mm-hmm. life. And one of the points I do want to make is also that this is even at the beginning where it reads a quote from Gogol, which is like the first line of the book. Essentially this is a tale of like supernatural taken, you know, from the history of like Ukraine and all that. Mm-hmm. Let me get the actual quote here. Okay, so essentially the opening line of the V in Gogol's story, and that's like showcased in both films, is The V is a monstrous creation of popular fancy. It is a name which the inhabitants of Little Russia give to the king of the gnomes, whose eyelashes reach the ground. The following story is a specimen of such folklore. I have made no alterations, but reproduced it in the same simple form in which I heard it. Author's note. Um, And of course, when it says Little Russia, this is you know, when Ukraine was part of the Russian Empire. So it's anytime between, like, the 17th to, like, the time Gogol was born, like, the 19th century. Was lived in the 19th century. So... Can we talk about those eyelids for a minute, too? Because this is this is something that, like, like, I want to know more if you have any information about why this was so prominent in folklore. Because this is the only real thing in the depiction of the V that sort of translated between both films was this idea of having these extremely long eyelashes slash eyelids that needed to be lifted. What's going on there? That's a great question. Um, That is a... Honestly, I do not know because the V was just made up by Gogol. So... Yeah, um, I was going to say... What we, what Google wrote there is right. true. He just right, but obviously this is yeah. he's he's making some sort of some sort of point about this the symbology of or the symbolism that he's using with these giant eyelids. So I was just curious. Um, okay, so like what I what I can g- gather is essentially the eyelids of the V. And you know he needs assistance to yeah. raise up his eyelids because he. He can use that to look through magic circles even if, like, the rest of the demons can't. Because if you notice throughout the story, when Koma is in the magic circle, the witch can't find him, the demons can't find him. The moment the V opens up his eyelids and makes contact with um, Koma, you you know, eye to eye... He can see through the magic circle and then he's killed at the end. And that's that was sort of where my interpretation went, is there's clearly something about needing the assistance of the witch in order to be effective, because he doesn't come until he's called, but he's the most terrifying of creatures, but he also needs the consent and the assistance of the one who called him in order to be effective. Yes, and essentially, because he needs that assistance to like open up his eyelids, I think it honestly just comes from the, even like the Christian tradition of 
you know, you're supposed to, you know, cross yourself three times, make the sign of God, and then spit in the face of evil. Because at the end of the story, you know, Homa is like two, like, schoolmates are like, well, he should have not been afraid of it. Like, <laughs> right? Or else he would have yeah, been everything's fine. Everything's fine. Um, yeah. This shows up more in the short story, but I think probably the main theme of the, the story overall is courage. Because ultimately, Homa failed because. First off, he looked at the V. I'm pretty sure if he had just kept looking down at his book, if the V made eye contact with him, then he was mm -hmm. fucked. But if he just didn't look, he would be fine. And he says over and over, oh, a brave Cossack would never... The Cossacks are brave. Cossacks must do this and that. Cossacks have no fear. And I think the main thing is, is that because he's afraid, he it, forces, it makes him look, but he waits until... Because if you notice the theme of, you know, when the, the rooster crows, everything, you know, goes back mm -hmm. to normal. And he hears that rooster crow, which makes him look at the V. But, you know, he, he wasn't waiting for things to happen. He's like, oh, the rooster crowed, I can look. And then makes eye contact. Um, but, which, you know, caused him to, like, stray from the path um, and all of that. So... Yeah. I don't know if this is a thing in Christianity per se, but that makes me think of the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, which like comes from the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's wife looked back and was turned into a pillar well, of salt. And similarly, yeah. Indian... What's yeah, it doomed sight too. has a long yeah. literary True. history. True. So something about, I don't know, something about sight lets you interface with the supernatural more than any other sense, I mm -hmm. suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing, just to kind of veer, and well, just kind of see, like, how this whole thing started with the killing of the witch. <laughs> um. Yeah, we've talked so much about the ending, we didn't talk about the start either. <laughs> True. Which is also, you know, how everything just ends up happening. So, before I give my thoughts, what are your guys' thoughts about, like, how the... How this, you know, the event started that led Homa to his death. I'm just separating so, the two. <laughs> yeah, I was going to yeah. ask, how did you guys take the initial action of Homa writing, quote unquote, writing the witch or the witch writing him? Did you see that as like a sexual metaphor? Did you see that as something literal where she just wanted to have like one night of fun with this guy? She wasn't really trying to seduce him. Um, speaking specifically of the 1967 version and not the shenanigans that happened in the 2014 version. <laughs> so I, when I saw this, I saw it as literal because, no, not literal, but as like a sexual thing because she was, because she comes in and then it's, because you're seeing it through Homa's eyes. It's for, to him, it's making him seem like he's, you know, she's trying to seduce him. And then she starts riding him like a horse, which if... Well, we already we've already cursed, but essentially, for me, that kind of felt more like they were actually having sex. And then when she was killed, you know, was, he's he was just trying to say, "Oh no, she's a witch," but actually, she was just a younger woman who kind of helped her, helped you know, helped them out to like have a place to stay. And then it's just you know, the whole plot for me was just like because Homa essentially killed this woman after having their fun, then he's being punished by God for like all the things that, you know, he had, you know, that happened by having her like be an actual witch and like cause or like consort with the devil to kind of get her revenge essentially. Well, and that also has a really long-standing tradition in literary history, as well as like supernatural folklore history, this idea of the witch's flight or the devil's flight. So there was a lot of tradition that he was drawing on to, to sort of make that metaphor happen, but it is definitely also making the beast with two backs, if you will. Like, there are definitely overtones mm -hmm. that this was supposed to be a sexual metaphor. Yeah, I don't I, I don't personally read it as, like, um, Homa going into a dream state or mm -hmm. anything like that, but I think that interp... I don't... I think Gogo just literally just meant it was something supernatural was happening, and that's all. Um, oh, no, no. Gogo was a sex fiend. He, like, well... <laughs> He was okay, not a sexy, but he was like a he was a huge pervert, <laughs> and you and you and like in his writing, you will see a, that a, a lot. Man of letters. <laughs> what do you 
I mean, I'm surprised he didn't have more things related to, like, noses, because that was his fetish. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. They talk about yeah. that in the Brothers Karamazov. He had a, Gogol had a nose fetish. Oh, boy. Yes. Um, um, <laughs> which, I mean, witches, big, big, warty noses. You'd probably go nuts for that. Lord. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, with yeah. the witch, and then you get the traditional, like, witch archetype, which, you know, they're all childless, independent, and extremely horny for some reason. Because right. independent women can get some when they want it. True. Right. Yeah. And thus yes. they are dangerous. True. Unbridled mm-hmm. sexuality is um, such a huge part of the fear of witches, right? So this is yes. definitely playing off yes. of that motif. Yes. Because and the portrayal of an older woman past childbearing age having any sort of sexual sexuality yes. or sexual agency um, is a yes. huge theme of witches. I immediately thought of Pearl in mm-hmm. X. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. And I should point out, like, the uh, Colonel's daughter was unmarried mm-hmm. also. She was a quote-unquote maiden. Mm-hmm. Probably not an actual maiden, but officially, outwardly, a maiden. Well, it it does mention that she was with a huntsman that she also forced her, you know, rode him like a horse. Yeah. (laughs) So. Yeah. So essentially there's that thing. And and then he died somehow um, afterwards. So I I could also see as like, see it as the, the, you know, the witch who's, you know, the Cossack's daughter who's. The Cornell's daughters, you know, she remains unnamed the whole time, on it, which adds another folk folktale esque thing to you it. You don't need to identify um, women. <laughs> yeah, they don't need names. Come on. She's she's a witch. That's all you need to know about her. And yeah. but essentially, yeah. it's the I, only I also women can be notable. <laughs> well, you know what they say: it's all old women are witches, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but I also um, saw which it. I like... mention an old woman takes exception to that in the story, and a Cossack simply threatens to beat her up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Um, but I also do think that the whole like every time you know the Cos- the colonel's daughter like rides someone like a horse, the person ends up dead. I could also see it as you know it's actually just a colonel killing the person for being with his daughter besmirching her honor exactly but you know there's a lot of stuff that can be drawn to that i'm not you know that i'm not sure of which is why i want to discuss it with you guys so like any more thoughts on this film so i read just a tiny bit before we started recording um about like the freudian um i mean Freud, take him or leave him, right? But uh, like the Freudian implications of the story and whether or not the witch was actually had sex with Homa, uh, you know, whether or not there's a like a, a familial relation between Homa and the old woman. There's a lot that's open to interpretation there. And I think specifically the story is more what they're you know, kind of interpreting, but I did think that that was really fascinating that whether or not, you know, Gogol was a sex freak, they, they kind of inter- opened up his story to this interpretation. Um, and we can see, you know, we can make those parallels when we watch the movie, but apparently this book has been very highly analyzed in terms of like Freudian themes. And I thought that was really interesting. Mm. I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. If we're gonna go with Freud, um, witches are basically walking examples of castration. Mm-hmm. In, society. Um, in the Malice Maleficarum, um, Heinrich Kramer wrote, I think. So, I mean, in general, witches interfere with reproduction. Is basically the thing about witches in the Malice Maleficarum. They provide abortions. They cause miscarriages to happen. They eat babies. They cause impotence in men. So the, the the witch is basically a woman who in some way exerts power over reproduction and especially over men. Um, especially since, I don't know if this would, this is what 
Gogol is drawing from, but the uh, hematogenous theory of reproduction um, was an Aristotelian form of medicine, uh, medicinal theory about um, reproduction, which was basically semen in, or sperm is the only creative element that sort of transfers the essence to the fetus, whereas um, the only thing that the womb provides is incubation um, and also menstrual blood because <laughs> Aristotle believed that fetuses were made out of menstrual blood. So in a sense, getting an abortion was an affront to God, but it was also an affront to the father of the child because you were destroying his him. Yeah, because he had all the bits that matter. <laughs> Pretty much, yes. In kind of going back with that incest theory, um, do you think, I know this is kind of reading between the lines, but do you think that the colonel knew that Homa was the one who actually was responsible for his daughter slash wife, maybe slash relative's death? Oh, I mean, I didn't really have an incest theory, just more so that the father was just, you know, being being the leader of the town, anything that she does reflects badly on him. And essentially, you know, with women being seen as, like, property, and this is, un, this is his unmarried daughter, I don't think there was... But I didn't think he did know that she was killed by Homa, because she was... That was the name that she mentioned. I don't, I don't know if if he knew because I feel like his response would have been different. Because he was like, "Yeah, you must do this, and I'll pay you. But if you don't, well, the consequences are on you." Rather than like, "I'll fucking kill you," you know, like it wasn't it wasn't aggressive enough. I think for him to have been aware, he was just kind of like allowing Homa to make his decision, which would then have consequences. Well, he did threaten him, though, in both the story and the movie, I think. Yeah, but it was uh, not as, like, it's not as overt as I would have expected if it was like, you killed my daughter or wife or... Maybe. Um, I, don't think the, I don't think the filmmakers said that, but in, it's, it's pretty explicit in the book. He said, I'm going to whip you, then I'm going to pour brandy on your whipping um, injuries, and then I'm going to whip you again. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure that means that he knew. Well, I, I think it does, because at least if he may have known that his daughter was consorting of some, some evil spirits, mm -hmm. which meant, like, if you don't if she, if she you don't let her get her revenge, I will get her revenge for you, which is what I took okay. it more as. Hmm. I can see that reading. I just kind of, I, I don't know, I read things on the surface level more there, I guess. I think he didn't know, and I think, well, the more evidence to your theory, I would say, again, is his nonchalance mm -hmm. towards uh, Homa saying... Your daughter is consorting with evil spirits. Mm-hmm. Should we move to film two? Let's, yes. Which, I suppose. Yes, let's do oh, 20, V2014, right. which takes place a year after the events of V, <laughs> and brings in some English men to be the savior of the town and figure out yeah. the mystery behind everything. Yeah, a lot being said there, hey? <laughs> right? Out of... Ugh, Everything yeah. that annoyed me with this movie, I think the portrayal of the villagers was the thing that annoyed me the most. Yeah. There was definitely an overtone of backwater, for sure. Yeah, like English supremacy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Look at how civilized we are in our big grand home with our big grand clothing, and you just want to rob our carriages and believe in silly superstitions. Ha <laughs> ha! I am a learned man. I make several maps. <laughs> I'm obviously a scientist. I'm a learned man. I know about Da Vinci. <laughs> oh, my teacher was Isaac Newton. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he makes all these like, it, it's like a, a 10 year old's idea of what a scientist would say when he's like talking to these backwater savages. He's like, at some point out of nowhere, he just says, <clears throat> Uh, argumentum ad hominem, and then is very smug. And I was like, that, that doesn't even make sense. Yeah, that's not a thing. That's what I I know that that's how scientists actually talk. They just say non sequiturs to one another. Mm -hmm. If it's in Latin, it must be smart. Like I'm, I don't have a problem in theory with some character like being like the uh, I don't know the the Velma. 
who's like, um, actually, this is a perfectly rational explanation yes. for everything that's going on here. <laughs> I don't have a problem with that if it's like a silly character. Because clearly, like, the, the movie can't decide if the villages are yes! stupid for believing in the supernatural <laughs> or not. Because I'm pretty sure... Well, I don't know. I guess they're... No, all the supernatural elements are debunked at the end, I guess. Well, here, here's what I didn't get. Like, Absolutely. the film is trying to do, like, basically... I thought this film was more like a Scooby-Doo episode, if I'm being honest. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and like a really bad Scooby-Doo episode. Because, trust me, I freaking love Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and, like, it was just like, oh yeah, here's just all the supernatural stuff right. that we can't explain. And then, actually, this was all by the priest who's doing everything because he's corrupt and wants a thousand gold or like just wanted the love of the, you know, the Colonel's daughter, but didn't get it because he's a priest. So, but also, and and like, and like, I couldn't even tell if this is like an Orthodox priest or like just a Catholic priest because they, they had like an actual like statue of Christ as a cross on the cross, which, which I'm like, no, no, no Orthodox church would have this. <laughs> I did question that. I was like, this seems wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And and that was like one of the fav- my favorite things from the 67 film is the church. The church is amazing. And in this one, they had the potential to reuse that. Yeah, that freaking guy. They just kind of crap the bed on that one. Yeah, and I honestly couldn't tell, like, you're not supposed to know where it happens. You're supposed to know this is, like, a Russian <laughs> Empire-esque area. And right? one of the things, as I went through, it's kind of like doing, like, my background research is, okay, so the next film that takes a few months Everything after this, you have Peter about all of the iconography. So you know at least it takes wrong. place in the 1600s. Or, like, the early, six, you know, the early 1700s, late 1600s. Um... Mm. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> it does not. <laughs> and and then one of the things that as I just kind of kept looking through is you know even in the first film and the second film they use a term like pan for like men and pan or panachka for women which shows a more like a more like Polish influence on the language. Because and that is a thing because Ukraine was part of the Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth for a while, um, which was the four, uh, you know the fourteenth through sixteenth centuries. Um, uh, but and, yeah, and with that, the, I the, was like, okay, you know, so, you, so it's in Western and, Ukraine, and if anything. The English people, it Western? yeah, Western. Not apply the same so you would get so basically it's in that area there. So which I could say, okay, you know, they could be Catholic, but. They're, like, trying to, like, mix Catholic and, like, Orthodox iconography. And I'm like, this is confusing as frick. (laughs) Um, It seemed to me, based on the filmmaking and the era in which this came out, that they were really trying to toe a line of, like, this is a Russian film, but it's definitely, like, we want that international distribution. We want this (laughs) to catch on in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, I could tell by based on the way it was shot, the story was structured, all of that. It was trying to fit in to um, the sort of horror adventure costume dramas of the early 2000s, like Van Helsing kind of kicked off this wave of stuff Um, um, that we still see today. It was reminding us of a, yeah, Brothers Grimm, uh, the action adventure Hansel and Gretel series, all of that. Yeah, I told Juliet when we were watching this, uh, they totally, I Frankensteined the... uh, the movie, the 1967 version. And I honestly think, I honestly think that I would have liked this version better Mm -hmm. for all of the mess that it is. If I did not know that it was a remake of the 1967 version, I think I actually would have liked it better. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think if I had watched this, Maybe not the year it came out, but like if I had seen this movie on TV at a certain time in my life, I would have been like, this is bad, but I love it. But <laughs> having seen the original, I'm just like, nah, the, the original is so much better. Yeah. 
I, I fully agree with that. I mean, <laughs> I don't think I would have liked it either ways because just me being the pedantic freak that I am about Eastern European things, um, I would just been like, no, this is wrong. No, no, no. Why, you know, why wouldn't they already have maps of this place <laughs> and all that? It's not like, you know, they didn't have like... Yeah, that's probably true. What? Uh, the... Yeah. And like the suspension of disbelief is just, I don't know. It, the, again, with the backwater thing, like this, this colonel is like picking <laughs> yeah. up this dude's book and map. And he's like, what is this sorcery? This is a what fair point. <laughs> Not even a colonel. It's just like one of the Cossacks. It's like, yeah. oh, this man's a devil. And then it's like, oh, look, he doesn't even have mm. a Bible in his hand in, on it, with him. Look at all this sorcery. Yeah. He's like, no, that's just... Stop. Oh, the light of knowledge is evil was a real line that was said in this movie for the listeners yeah, at home in... by, um, by the priest. He was able it's, to get there. It's definitely <laughs> like confused territory. as to which era this movie actually happens in. It's like this weird amalgamation of like between 14th and 16th century, but also like definitely influences from like 18th <laughs> yeah. and 19th century England which is very strange and, and very off-putting mm-hmm. and like I, I get it because if this is around the time like because this because of the sequel which I'm not watching um mm-hmm. if this is around the time of like oh come on it's yeah. there is Chan, it takes place in China it's got Arnold Schwarzenegger it has Jackie Chan yep Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah yeah. And it's in China. Doesn't it have another guy? It well, it has like another huge Charles acting. Dance and Jason or uh, Jeremy Fleming in it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's 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 in England actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, so, fair warning. They so like the V three D version is very different yes. in terms of cut and like subject matter that they include than Forbidden Kingdom is, which Forbidden Kingdom is the one that is supposed to be the franchise. So there where is they have a, a sequel. One, and they also have a third one oh, in production, no. which is going to be oh, in geez. India. Oh, my God. Yeah. So oh, cool. <laughs> just uh, FYSA. Um, that's, yeah. So oh I God. actually watched both. I watched the... The that totally version, passed me by. Hours. Oh, but I also terrible. watched the okay. the one that's on Amazon, which has English um, dubbing, and it's very, very different. Like they've cut it all up, they rearranged it. Oh god! So, you know, go <laughs> choose your own adventure for sure. But it is very different. Wait, is it better? <laughs> Oh no. So I will not say that it's better. I will say that some of the cuts <laughs> feel frantic. So like specifically, here's an example. The scene where they're telling the lore of, you know, the women putting the wreaths in the in the river and then, you know, people picking up the wreath and or men picking mm. up the wreath and then them being their soulmate. And then that's when we see the young woman get, you know, she's dead and then her friend gets hurt and all that. They chop that up. Okay, I'm curious and cut then. Together yeah, I'm, I'm curious if it was better because the there did feel there were sections the other of this movie that felt out they of order. They cut that together and they chop For like sure. 75 like it felt very disjointed. out of it and just speed run through it. So it's like <laughs> I'm I'm talking like second cuts. So you're like flipping to the the mm. you know the bad guy. I kept calling him Worm Tongue because I didn't know what his name was because he kind of has like <laughs> Grima Worm Tongue makeup on. He does. So I just called him Father Wormtongue the entire time I was watching the movie. But they like cut to Father Wormtongue, right. cut to the dad. The dad's like, okay, I got to take my daughter home. And then the daughter says like her whole line, but they cut that even where she's explaining like, you have to go to Homa and get him to come and say the prayers. They cut it to just the part where she's like, find Homa. He'll know who the wolf in sheep's clothing oh. is, and I just was like, "Oh, that's so on the nose." It just takes all of the mystery away from it. Wow. So, anyways, choose your own adventure. It's not better. It does not get better. <laughs> <laughs> so his name is Father Paisi. I had no idea. Oh, I just right. kept calling him Father Wormtongue. But, uh, like, 
<laughs> Father Wormtongue is better, but it just makes it... <laughs> yeah. Also, I want to say, in the short story, Homa isn't the one who goes to the exorcism, or the read the prayers. It was his friend, Thomas Brutus. What? Yeah. No, the Homa isn't the one who, who reads the prayers in the short story. But just the adaption decided that he's the one who should do it. Mm. Yeah, because they, they, I think they combine them. Because it's like, you have Homa, then you have, like, Thomas Brutus. And then it's just like, oh, yeah, this is Homa Brute. <laughs> and that's literally his name okay. in, the, in the 1967 film. Oh. So they just kind of, like, I think they just thought Homa was we, a we love cooler a name and, like, more here. Slavic sounding than Thomas. So, I mean, true. Which, which I don't, you know... <laughs> Which I don't blame them, because you barely see the other two friends the whole story. So, like, it doesn't matter who it is, as long as it's just somebody. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, they're such bros. I mean, but they were kind of like that in the like in the story and in the other adaptation because they're always gotcha. like, "Let's get drunk, let's get food, and all that." Um. Oh, and well, and that's the other thing again true. with this idea of like portraying everybody. <laughs> true, true, at, true. Who's from the village as if they're from the backwater. His friends are absolute idiots in this the version. They're just numbskulls, and it does them no favors. So like nobody is really all that concerned about what they have to say um, and what happened the to their friend the because they're just design, drunken like the dangleheads. Where like this, just this yeah. nice carriage has to have a globe and a birdcage. <laughs> And a wheel on the back to, I guess, measure how fast he's going. I don't know. Yeah, but they're 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 young Steve, seminarians who are acting Steve like young seminarians, Steve not just vibes. like yeah. absolute brain dead losers. Yeah, like I, there, there's I, definitely I loved a how difference. It was. Um, oh yeah, that was one of the first thing I said when I started watching it. As I was like, well, they spent some money on this for sure. <laughs> you know, it's a very lavish production, <laughs> okay. even if the story doesn't. Uh, support mm-hmm. that, let's say. Yeah. So let me just add that this was the highest grossing film in Russia in 2014. <laughs> and then like, and they were supposed to like distribute it internationally because <laughs> they were like, this is really good. Let's distribute it. But because it was a joint Ukrainian and Russian production, they had some argumentation about how the money would be split. And then um, some other stuff happened in 2014 yes. regarding Ukraine um, and Russia. So that didn't help it at all. Oh, you know, just Crimea. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Shocker. Even for all of the the digital effects that they had, some of them were really cool. And I'm thinking specifically of the scene where they're all having dinner at the guitar. Jonathan some is there, other stuff. and yeah. all of the villagers turn into demons. And you know, but I, like I the do want to circle back to what Brennan was just saying there because my absolute yes favorite part. I thought that was actually really was cool. The stop and animation. Yeah, the effects don't the really tree. hold up now, but when we're they had nine years into the demon, future, it was, it was all stop animation. It was so and creepy into it. and awesome. Even Jordan, when some of the three D effects, he wasn't watching it with me, but he's like, "Oh, what is that? That's really cool." Three D movies, you know. Excellently done. <laughs> Just what else is there yeah, to say? That, it was, it's it's that generation of 3D films that we all know and love, where like every because yeah. honestly I hated the 3D because like I had to put glasses on top of my glasses to watch a film. <laughs> like no, thank you. And one of my least favorite things is like you can tell it's trying to do the 3D things like the baby demons, baby demons. and some of the scenes are like oh they're supposed <laughs> to pop out at the at the at the viewer. Um. But I will say my favorite scene throughout the whole thing w- was probably that dinner scene. Even like though some like the baby demons, you know, mm. they were fine until you saw them up close, and I'm like, okay, never mind. Mm. But I did like that whole like how the caustics are transforming, 
and like kind of dealing with that. And then it just it turns out like, oh, he just had a really bad like or experience hate. with like basically the moonshine he was making <laughs> for them. Which that kind of <laughs> yeah, it kind of took some of the magic out <laughs> of it though for them to like, you know pull all of the folklore out of it and for him to be like there's actually a perfectly yeah. reasonable explanation and then it for that to actually be the thing it kind of pulled some of the magic out of it because I like but that like, I like the little bit of you know but I think that was the thing that was definitely happening in the early 2010s with the horror movies especially with these adventure horror movies is like hey mm-hmm. actually this is all real reasonable and Nothing yeah. weird is actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you mean you the one that was as clean as ice? The world debunking, you know, silly things, you know, it, it, it very much had that adventure spirit. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah. And w- one of the things that, like, I thought this movie did, <laughs> did well, that's attracted from the movie yeah. multiple times was the fact that it had to explain things and just not, like, keep it as it was because then you're like wait so how do you explain what happened to like coma during yeah. the you know the preceding film you know when you watch the 1967 version because technically this is a sequel to that film if you think about it and but then yeah. it's like okay but how does homa who was like in the water mill start seeing all of this stuff when he's like there and they're like actually he wasn't so, like, at the water mill waters. he was at the lake with the girl and i'm like okay what you're basically just taking the story that was written, just destroying it. They put they put way too much extra folklore on the shoulders of this movie. Like it stands up by itself. The story is fine, and I actually really enjoyed the story. But they put all this extra stuff on there, the, the cartographer and all that stuff. I'm like, it doesn't need that. It doesn't need this evil, you know, Father yeah. Grima uh, Wormtongue. It doesn't need that. It's great in and of itself. And then they tried to force, I think, this parallel between Jonathan and his relationship with his, you know, baby mama, um, because they're not married. They tried to force this parallel between that and then, you know, protecting her honor and her dad and all that stuff and what's happening in this village. And I'm like, this is Mm -hmm. this is a stretch. (laughs) Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, as soon as uh, Jonathan is introduced, like when we have that kind of hard cut into his introduction, I was like, wait, who is this guy? I don't care who (laughs) this is, you know? I think it's suffering from like franchise-itis because they're clearly trying to set up the thing where, okay... We want to tell all these stories about all of these different cultures, but well, we and need that's a, again, a it comes down to we, we felt that the first one dragged a little because together. it was trying to be and faithful. And the Forbidden Kingdom yeah. version of this, novella, they actually but this had the, the opposite. very it, beginning of it the was movie a two is and a half hour Jonathan, movie, and it absolutely and then didn't they need to be. It only dragged because they were the, trying to throw um, so beginning much beginning of the V story after that. So it's very weird. It's a very strange choice of organization from one to the other. It's, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It, and I did see, I don't know if you guys know who this is, but I did see that Uva yes. Boll was an executive producer oh, on this no. film. Oh, so no. <laughs> <laughs> clearly you guys know who okay, that is. So you guys know, <laughs> I do, I do not know who is this person. Have you ever seen uh, okay. Alone in the Dark? <laughs> um, okay. No. So there's this whole, so I'm not going to go into it too much, but there's this whole litany of early 2000s, early 2010s horror movies, especially adaptations of video games into horror movies that were done by this one guy named Uva Boll. And they're pretty across the board, just absolute garbage. And it, like Alone in the Dark was one. I think he did Blood Rain. Yes. Oh, yeah I, I, yeah. I know Blood Rain. Yeah, I know Blood Rain. Yeah. This guy, Somehow, oh god! Studios just keep throwing millions and millions of dollars at him to remake these movies, and they just are so terrible. And he's executive producer on this one, and I was like, "Yep, this has the Uva Bowl touch. It's it's cursed." 
<laughs> Blood Rain was not great. <laughs> no. Nope, it was not. Okay. I had something to say, then I forgot because having to figure out who Uwe Boll was. <laughs> um, I had one last thought. Yeah, this guy. So, I kind right. of liked the uh, reworking where Homa was the bad guy the whole time. I kind of liked that twist at the end because I really did not see it coming. No, but he he wasn't, though. It was the father. What? No. Yeah. No, Homa, no, Homa is the one who killed, um, killed the witch. Yeah. No, it was Father Paisi who did. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. He was jealous because, like, he couldn't have her. Oh. So he dressed up and killed her, oh, and then Homa. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, because okay. they both look so freaking similar. I 100% yeah, it's like a, um, Judge Frollo situation. Yeah, I 100% could understand, though, how you kind of would get a different result because, like, it's confusing. <laughs> but it's true. I stopped paying attention. <laughs> uh, sorry, Roberto. Uh, it was, uh, I, I put it on 1.5 speed, but like halfway through. Oh, no. I, I literally stopped paying... I, I was only paying attention just because I was like, alright, when is this ending? I'm like, oh, I still have another hour to go? Shit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. Same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And... Oh. <laughs> sorry to the, the film snobs, but, like, the, the movies don't need to be two hours. Keep it to, like, an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Like, I understand that, like, old movies like Ben-Hur, like, they had to be that long because it was, like, you were spending an afternoon at the movies. But I remember watching, I think, Seven Samurai, <laughs> and it was four hours. And I was like, Akira Kurosawa, come on, man. Right, that's that's how I felt you about it. I'm like, how is really there still an hour yourself? left of this film? I'm going to sit through four hours of your movie. <laughs> Yeah. I 100% agree. I hate when movies are... Is, I is, hate when something's just long for the sake of being long. There is no reason for it. Yeah. So, like, one, one way I thought it could have been better is... If it used, you know, Homa's friends to kind of help solve the mystery that was going on here. Yes. Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yes. They're this the is, perfect this is how I felt the last one Stranger stooges. Things. There was so much. Yeah, it's just like much. figuring out, oh, what happened to our friend? He's you here. You could have cut easily and, like, a yeah, full There's no half body. We don't know what's happening. And they could have been the perfect people to just kind of crazy. like figure out what's happening and like break the corruption of yes! you know the, the, the exactly. villain right they're just cut it no, down we gotta get an they're Englishman. already there and that's that's they're how i felt about this movie too immersed like, in the story so much we, we don't need to introduce a totally a tighter, new person with a totally separate all be sitting here independent going, story wow that was actually really to help engaging. us unravel this mystery why not just yeah. mm-hmm. let the village let the villagers let the people who are familiar with the situation do it themselves yeah <laughs> Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. <laughs> Argumentum ad hominem. <laughs> uh, if, even if you're gonna do like this, you know, right off into the sunset thing, like the the search, like I watched the Searchers for the first time the other day, and John Wayne's character does do the right off into the sunset thing at the end of the movie, but he has like a personal connection. Like, there's stakes here. What stakes are there with Jonathan? Like, did. What, mm-hmm. what what reason does he have to help these people? A, a sequel. Th- those are the stakes. Yeah. You know? Why should Jonathan care? Because they're just so uneducated <laughs> oh, yes. and ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I... I just find that theologically offensive also because God is infinitely powerful. <laughs> what Catholic would come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just, yeah, we I just watched um, the Pope's exorcist for our Patreon. 
And right at the very end of this movie, they're like, ah, yes, we've now discovered that this is one of 200 sites on the planet that God is not welcome. So they're trying to set up this whole franchise for 199 sites. (laughs) (sighs) Right. Right. So it's not that... (laughs) You know, he was writing with his left hand, and really oh, yeah. that he's right-handed. Well, they're, they're because clear, they're that's already another like the favorite it. trope. So clearly, like, it worked. Just you never would have that, known that unless we lame, had somebody notice that he was writing franchise long hand. Always very so obvious. <laughs> yes, um, that's really not, flimsy not evidence bad, for a possession. I guess I it was say. better than we all thought it was going to be. But you, you can. You can cut this, but our our favorite thing that we walked away with is that the the first character who so, is possessed the reason that with they the know discussion is kind of like drawing to conclusion. So which so one did you prefer overall? Speaking English, we're like ah possessed. Yeah, same. Yeah, definitely. I remember my last thought. So the second one is dumber than the first one. Not for yes, the, <laughs> many reasons we've gone over, but it made the subtext text. Because the subtext in the, the first sinister movie hand. Was, about, was about sex and murder and so on. So we covered all this, and it's it's just made an explicit part of the plot in the second. Oh movie. yeah, it definitely was. Yeah, they're it's, like, it's how do you know he's like possessed? And, <gasps> he's speaking well, a lot of English. And not, well, it's just brilliant. How, how does that work in showing film? Not telling. telling and not showing? Telling yeah. and not showing. Yeah, it has a very low opinion of Russians for a Russian-Ukrainian production the, the because one. all the Russian characters are backwards idiots. And well, well, well and if you think about it, this is set in Ukraine. So this is set in Ukraine. So it just shows the Russian opinion on Ukrainians. <laughs> and for like, I don't know how this got by a Russian-Ukrainian yeah. production, but yeah, it doesn't show a good opinion yeah. on it. And, except for like the one character who's like, I'm going to help the Englishmen out and no one's, and they're going to listen mm-hmm. to me. And it's just like, but he's kind of like a, he's the, he's the shaggy of like the film. <laughs> What, what, Petrus? Petrus, yeah. <laughs> the shaggy of the film. Who, I love that. John just calls Peter. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Well, hey, Peter, come here. Speaking of, I would watch the... Um, well, watch that's... This movie if they there you go. And they just packed as many weed jokes in it <laughs> as they possibly could. <laughs> Well, let me tell you who did direct it. <laughs> what, the third movie? Or the second one? Yeah, it was not James Gunn, so you don't have to watch it. <laughs> so, one of the things uh, Juliet and I like to do is talk about Dreamcast. Yeah. So, like, who would we rather have in the cast? And for me, in the 1967 version, I could yeah. totally like, I'm not see gonna Gene even Wilder bother to pronounce your name correctly because you're from an ignorant backwater. <laughs> yes! <laughs> yeah, yes! True. And then true. Juliet... Hope I would have been great. Juliet had some uh, opinions about this, uh, about who she would like to see direct this now that I thought were really interesting. Oh, um, Ari Aster. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love, yeah, I would love to see Ari Aster's take on this story because for me, a lot of the charm of the original was that sort of tease of. You think it's supernatural, then you think it's all in its all in his head, and then you're like, maybe it is supernatural, and then all of a sudden at the end it hits you in the face, like, oh no, like this is definitely supernatural, <laughs> and Ari Aster does that really, really well, and I think he can take that sort of slow burn tease and make it and pull you along in a way that's really intriguing. So definitely Ari Aster should take it, try his hand at that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't come up with someone different than Ari Aster. I think he would be perfect. Like, the only other, like, sort of A24 horror director I know is Robert Eggers, and I don't think he would... I don't know if he would be good for this. Uh, he would certainly want to make it historically accurate. There'd be way probably. too many masturbation jokes, though. Yeah. And farting and yeah. burning. Yeah. I don't know if... <laughs> Wait, Ari Aster did Midsummer, yeah. right? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. God, that'd be beautiful. Hereditary and Midsummer. <laughs> Oh, that'd be beautiful to see him to see his take on V. Uh, I could see that. <laughs> yeah, that would who be has Ari email? I mean, and then you, and then you can get Florence Pugh to be the uh, yeah. the, the witch. The witch. <laughs> I mean, the witch. Did, 
the witch doesn't get much of a role. She, I mean, in well, the... she doesn't speak. She, I think she has one line, but it would have to be somebody who's like just totally a visual <laughs> actor, I guess. You could have Lisa, Lisa, uh, yeah, shit. What's, um, Tim Burton's ex wife's name? <laughs> Lisa Marie. You could have Lisa Marie do it. She was in Sleepy Hollow. She played. Well, Johnny we can Depp's propose mom. it and see if we can get a result Sleepy there Hollow. because people said that this you know, movie clearly like this hasn't Sleepy been Hollow. mined enough. <laughs> I, I listen at least one time. <laughs> okay, I tend to skip over the shitty Burton movies, but okay, I'll also I'll watch it. I love that one. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. I watched Beetlejuice for the first time like a while back, and. It was. I was like still thinking. Comfortable about it surfing on a coffin. Days and days. Yeah, it's amazing. Dale. Lisa Marie. <laughs> I can't not think of that. I actually went into a restoration hardware recently, and they totally had the table what? from that scene there. <laughs> oh, you should like, definitely you see it. Be able to like imagine shrimp hands grabbing your face <laughs> if you were sitting at this table to eat. Anyways, oh, it's worth it for aside. the aesthetic. It's great. Yeah. Yes. Well, I think this is where we can call it a finish. Um, so, Juliet and Teresa, where can people find you guys? Yeah, because it's freaking Beetlejuice. <laughs> And Brie, where can people find Pontifex? <laughs> yes. You can find me on Twitter as Foster underscore writing. You can also find me on Substack as Invented Organs and on Bandcamp under my musical project, Bargeist Music. Uh, you can find us anywhere you get and podcasts. Uh, we have a website, attackofthefinalgirls.com. So we Foster. are on Instagram uh, and TikTok. Uh, we and exist upon Twitter, but are kind of jumping ship as is everyone else. So those are your two best spots to find us for a so, social media connection. Um, that's a dosvinyantavarishi from me. People can find me, Pontifax remember, on all of their podcasting service, and we're Pontifax Bye-bye. Pod on all of the social Bye. medias. And if we jump ship, we'll be Pontifax Pod over there too. Bye.